Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Wow, we are getting that strong echo. How's everybody doing this morning? Have any of you ever, I'm just going to open with questions. Have any of you ever noticed that when you offend someone, you, do, you end up dodging their phone calls? <laughs> I'm get, by the last, I'm guessing that you have experienced this. Maybe you offended somebody, you say something to them, you say something about them, they hear it, and then you see their name pop up on your phone, and you're like, yeah, I just don't think I'm going to answer that. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever done that? Like two of you have? Yeah, right. This is church. You're not supposed to lie. Zach, we've got some major echo happening. We don't know why? Hold on. I'm going to just grab the hand. Mute me. There we go. I'm going to grab this guy. All right. Sorry about that. You ever gone weeks and months without talking to someone? And, I mean, you end up not being able to remember why, but you go weeks and months not talking to somebody because maybe they offended you or you offended them. Or there's this chasm, there's this brokenness, there's this point in this relationship where it's almost like the point of no return. Um, I think, why do we do this? I think that we have this deep sense of shame when this kind of thing happens. We have this deep sense that we hurt somebody or somebody hurt us, and we just don't even want to talk to them because we don't want to bring it up. We don't want to go over it again. We don't want to bring up the old issues because we're afraid that it will hurt some more. I mean, we've all experienced this. We all know what this is like when you run into somebody you weren't expecting to run into, and you're like, oh, and then you retell the story. Yeah, I ran into this person, and, you know, we had this bad falling out. Or maybe you go to a family event, and you're like, yep, They were there. You know what I'm talking about? Am I alone? Am I the only pastor in the world that has these issues? Let me sit down and we'll have a support group. (laughs) Um, But I think this is something that is common all throughout the biblical story as well. And I think that this is something that's a lot bigger than we realize. So flip with me to Genesis chapter 3, if you will. Um, It should be up on the screen. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. God creates the heavens and the earth, and everything's good. Genesis chapter 2, God makes man, and it's not good. Sorry, gentlemen. So God creates women. Yay, women. Kathy, you could use that one. So God makes women, and then it is good. And, and they have this relationship together. They get married. We see this biblical picture of marriage um, and, and And then Genesis chapter 3. We're just going to start reading in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. This is the the woman responding to the serpent. 
And by the way, there's some communication issues between man and woman at the very beginning because God didn't say it to man and man had to convey this to woman and, and they kind of got screwed up. We're going to do a series on, on marriage and dating relationships, all that stuff in the fall. And this is going to be very important um, because all the way from the beginning of time, men and women have had communication issues. Anyways, verse 4. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for, them, for themselves. By the way, the very first use of the word atonement is right here. Covering. They covered themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid awkward, right? They did something that they weren't supposed to do. Seeing the person in authority, they hid. It's sort of the same thing we do when we get that call from somebody that we're just not ready to talk to yet. It's sort of the same thing we do when we go to that family event or we go to work and we go, oh, I don't really want to have this interaction with that person. They sinned against God because God asked them, God told them, eat from anything but not this tree. And believing that God was holding out against him, man sins, man covers up, and man hides. And this is sort of a pattern in relationships, right? When we screw up, when we do something we're not supposed to do, when we say something we're not supposed to say, what do we do? We hide. We bail out. Very few of us man up and say, hey, I did this wrong and, and uh, we need to talk about this. But we tend to run and hide. That's just how we tend to operate as people. But over and over and over again, what, what happens in Scripture after this, God banishes them from the garden. God kicks them out. And, and there's this massive separation now. And the rest of the story of Scripture is about God bringing His people back and God coming closer to His people and about how they eventually reunite together. Last week we talked about stories and how God interrupts stories, and, and Jesus did that with the, um, with the resurrection. He did that with the incarnation, with the, the coming on earth as a man and the raising from the dead. He interrupted all of history. We talked about how he interrupted the story of the lost son and how he wants to interrupt your story. And today what I simply want to do is just do a little bit of a, like a case study on a guy. Just We're going to read through his story, and that's the story of Peter. I really resonate with the story of Peter. And I think that's why we're really reading through it today is because I look at Peter and see so much of myself there. But flip with me uh, to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. And we're going to look a little bit about how Matthew, or I'm sorry, how uh, Peter sort of came to be, what his position of prominence and what does his relationship with Jesus look like? Because Peter was kind of the guy who spoke for the disciples. He was sort of the guy that was in charge of the disciples. Peter had kind of a, a big job. Um, so starting in verse 18, chapter 4, verse 18, here's what happens. 
As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, and they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and they followed them. Now, this is a story to be understood in its culture. I mean, because it's not like you walk up to somebody today playing basketball and you're like, come follow me. I will make you basketball players of men or something. And people follow you. That just doesn't happen today. I mean, but the way that it worked is that famous rabbis or rabbis would, would go around and they would begin to call people into their ministry to be disciples of them. And this is one of the highest callings, especially in Galilee where they were, which was a religious and cultural center. I mean, the way that they studied back then was intense. Kids at the age of 12 would have already gone through and had the Torah memorized, would have already gone through all different Torah classes, would have sat underneath different teachers and rabbis and things, and at the age of 12, they would have had this stuff down packed. And if they really, if their teachers thought that they could really excel, then they would send them to a rabbi, or they would go to a rabbi that they wanted to be a disciple of, and, and the rabbi would either say, go back to your previous profession or come and follow me. And so there's this sense that, like, if the rabbi says, you know, he tests you with, with knowledge, there's this sense that if, if he says, go back to work, then you're being rejected. But if he says, come and follow me, it's saying, I accept you. And what some commentators think on this passage is that some people say that, you know, this is such a religious area that it's possible that that Peter even could have gone to a rabbi. And the reason why he's out there as a man working is because they said, go back to your profession. Now, we don't know that for sure, but that, is, um, that, that could have happened because Galilee was such this religious uh, uh, setting in the, in the area. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. And so, this is what it looked like to be a first century Jew in Galilee that you loved God and that you, you memorized all this stuff and you followed the rabbi, and that was like one of the highest callings. So when Jesus said, follow me, that was a big deal. That was like, hey, I accept you, and I want you to be a little me out in the world. I want you to know everything I know, and I want you to teach everybody everything I know. Flip with me to Mark chapter 8. We're going to breeze through a ton of Scripture because there's a lot of it today to look at Peter's story. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone. In other versions of this story, it says, Jesus said um, to, to Peter, this was revealed to you by God, not man. So, and he praises him for, for knowing this. He praises him for his confession of faith. And, and, and still right around this passage, uh, Jesus says, on, on this rock, I will build my church. Basically, on this confession of faith that Jesus is God, I will build my church. And so here, Peter is like a superstar disciple. He's saying all the right things. He's doing the right things. He, he, he confesses that, that, that Jesus is God. 
Peter nails the answer. And then the reason why I picked this passage is because in the next verse, verse 31, he says this, And he, speaking of Jesus, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, which, by the way, rebuking Jesus, not the smartest move. But then... But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in the things you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Ouch. Peter is on thin ice here. I mean, they still haven't severed or broken the relationship. Peter is just looking at this through human perspective. He doesn't understand that Jesus can actually take his life back up again. He doesn't understand that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb going to hang on the cross and his blood is going to be shed for all generations. He doesn't quite get that at this moment. He, he just sees him as this leader who's really important and who could some, dramatically change the lives of so many different people. And so I think Peter actually had pretty good intentions here. Well, except for the intention of making him like a human king. But he, he just wanted to look out for his friend. I mean, I think that was part of it. And, and, and Jesus simply responded, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have the thing, in mind the things of men, or the things of God, but the things of men. Brutal, brutal to have that said to you, especially by Jesus. Mark chapter 14. Like I said, we're going to go through this pretty quick. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. They're eating at the Last Supper. They're around the table. Um, they're making their way back to the city. A few hours after this, Jesus will be arrested, and uh, he'll go to his death. But in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 27, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. He says, you will all fall away. Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will get, go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14, verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. A little while, after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. Galileans would have had accents and so that's how they knew. 
he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man that you're talking about. Immediately, the roaster crowed, crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Sometimes relationships can get to this point, huh? And it certainly did between Jesus and Peter. I mean, this was a massive denial. Three times Jesus had been arrested. Jesus had been taken into the city. The thought now is, dang, they're going to take everybody who was following him, and they're going to kill him too. And, and he wanted to save his own skin, so he denied that he even knew Jesus. So have you ever noticed that when you throw someone under the bus, I mean, I know we're all Christians here, and we're all good people, but you've all thrown somebody under the bus before, haven't you? We all have. I mean, just admit it. But you ever notice that when you do that, you run and hide? You don't answer the calls. You don't want to come in contact. In fact, you want to avoid the very area where they might be. I think this is kind of what Peter did. I think Peter kind of, kind of um, hid a little bit. I don't think he really wanted to be found. There's something about running and hiding that shows the true nature of relationship. So check this out. The verse that Elena read, Jesus dies. He, he, he has this brutal death. And we looked through that last week in Good Friday, and, and it was brutal. It was, it was horrifying to watch. A crucifixion would have been one of the most horrendous things in the world to watch. Jesus dies. He, three days later, he's in the tomb. The women go to check on him. And in, in chapter 16, verses uh, 6 through 7, we read this. Don't be alarmed, he said. And this is an angel speaking. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples. And who else? And Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Last week, we talked about stories being changed forever, about how God is a God who changes stories, and Jesus changed stories wherever he went. Every life he touched, I mean, think of the stories he changed of the people he healed. A story changed, a life changed, a life changed over and over and over and over again. And what I wanted to do today was follow up the message last week with a, uh, with a true story of, of change due to the resurrection. As Jesus raised from the dead, the angel of God said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Because at this point, Peter had pretty much said, I'm not a disciple anymore. He had declared three times, I'm not his disciple. And so there's a distinction made, go tell the disciples and Peter. In other words, Peter, you're not too far gone yet. You're not too far out. Yeah, you sinned. Yeah, you screwed up. Yeah, you said some things you really shouldn't have said, but you know what? I still love you. Go tell the disciples and Peter. How many times have we had to write our names? Go tell the disciples and Dave that Jesus still loves you, that you're not too far gone, that Jesus still wants a relationship with you. How many times have we had to put our name in that verse? Hope is not lost. At this point, hope is found because the women come telling the disciples, hey, Jesus has risen, and they want me to specifically tell Peter this. 
Flip with me now to John chapter 21. And I love the genius of this. I mean, all through the Gospels, God just peppers in his genius. All through the Bible, God's genius is just so evident in all of this. So here's what happens in John 21. Remember how Jesus first calls Peter. Peter's out fishing. Peter's out collecting the catch of fish. And Jesus calls out to them, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, you remember that. That's, that's essential to Peter's story, essential to how Peter and Jesus came to know each other, and essential to, to their very first encounter. And when I say that people, people, I'm sorry, when I say that Peter deserted Jesus, I mean, I don't know that, that we really understand that. The guy actually kind of went back to his old job. In, in Luke, I'm sorry, in John 21, we find Peter fishing again. We don't find him out telling people about Jesus. We don't find him out um, teaching people what Jesus taught him. We don't find him out healing the sick. We don't find him out doing greater things that, that Jesus said the disciples would do. We don't find him doing any of that. We find Peter again fishing at his old job. Clearly, the guy had walked away. John chapter 21, and, and I'm just going to start reading at verse 5. And they're out there fishing. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And soon Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water, and the other disciples followed him in the boat, towing their net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there were fish on it and some bread. I love this. This is just genius. Jesus is sitting around a fire with some fish and some bread. Now, remember when Jesus fed 5,000, what did he use? Fish and bread, right? He's reminding them, hey, I am who I said I was. I am the Messiah. I am going to take care of you. I have risen from the dead. And so he's there with fish and bread waiting to have dinner with his disciples. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed, climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, to the, um, Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Then I love this part, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, Peter was a fisherman. Peter, we found him back fishing again, and now there's a giant pile of fish. And I, I wonder if Jesus made him have this miraculous catch of fish just so he could say, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this massive pile of fish? Because remember, he went back to his old job. He wasn't out discipling. He was not out doing what a disciple did. Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, 
feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself um, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the type of death which Peter would glorify, for which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. So he starts the relationship with this phrase, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he ends it with these three questions, do you love me? Almost to counteract the three times that he disowns Jesus. Jesus disowns three times, and then, or I'm sorry, Peter disowns three times, and Jesus says, do you love me? Three times. And Peter says, you know that I do. And in this, Peter is reinstated. Jesus says, take care of my sheep, take care of my flock. In this, he is reinstated. And the question I have for us today is, how do we live out the resurrection? How is our story changed? I mean, we are broken in, in so many times, and so often we, we make mistakes, we, we say the wrong things, we do the wrong things, we might have broken relationships that need reconciling. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So Jesus reconciled us to himself. He made our relationship right. And then he gave us this ministry of reconciliation so we can make things right with each other. Because when we make things right with each other, guess what we put on display? The gospel. That Jesus made things right with, uh, with us, even though we screwed up, even though we, we, we said the wrong things, even though we do the wrong things, even though we sinned, Jesus reconciled by his death and resurrection, he brought us to himself. He drew us near, and, and, and he reconciled us together so that we can be reconciled with the world. Does that make sense? I think God wants us to reconcile with people in our own lives. People that, when I've asked you that question about the cell phone, when I ask you that question about when you run into somebody, there's a name or a face that pops up in your head that you go, yep, that person. I think that God wants you to be reconciled with that person in a powerful way because I think that when you are, you put the gospel on display. I think there's a reason that when, whenever Jesus talks about prayer in the New Testament, he talks about prayer and he says, but first go be forgiven, or first go be reconciled, or first go have this conversation. Or when you're going to give your gift at the altar, first go do what? Be reconciled. I, I think there's something about forgiveness interpersonally in our relationships that puts the gospel on display. Because we're doing the same thing that Jesus did for us. And so what I'm going to ask you guys to do today is as a church, can we be a church 
that puts the gospel on display? Can we be a church that models reconciliation? Maybe sometimes it's to ourselves. We cannot forgive ourselves for something we have done. And Jesus has already forgiven you, but you just keep bringing it back up over and over and over and over and over again. And you know what? There's no healing there. Can you be reconciled? Maybe it's interpersonally. And you know what? If you have a... Does it, do people here... Do you guys all have cell phones? Everybody have a cell phone here? If you have a cell phone, just, do the, just show it to me real quick. Let me see your cell phone. Okay, so yeah, you guys have cell phones... Getting out of your purse. Okay, keep holding it up. Now, I'm going to ask you, if there's somebody that their name pops up on this and you just cringe <laughs> because you need to be reconciled to them, not because of other reasons, I, I don't want you to leave this place without calling them today and saying, we need to be reconciled. We need to work this out. Now, you all have cell phones you all have this ability because I see you having cell phones. And, and you can't lie about it because you're Christians. And you're in church. <laughs> There's something about, putting, about reconciling relationships that puts the gospel on display. The, why is it that, that the two greatest commandments are love God and love people? Because when we love people, we're putting the love of God on display. This is a simple message, folks. It's nothing deep. God loves you so much that he wants you to display that love outwardly to other folks. Maybe there's someone you just need to call today and say, hey, we need to work this out. Or maybe there's just somebody that you just need to forgive in your head, you know, and, and you just really need to, it, there's this guy named Stanley Hauerwas. He says sometimes people do things that are so wrong that you that it's hard to forgive him, but what you really need to do to get over it is forgive him and then remember honestly so it doesn't happen again. I, I love that guy. Maybe there's someone you just need to dial right now and be reconciled to. I mean, because this is exactly the relationship between Peter and Jesus. It's so many relationships in this room. So many family relationships. Maybe you guys had Easter last week and after the story about God changing stories and, and, and it being powerful, maybe you just went and had a blow up with your family. That doesn't happen, right? Nobody's ever had that. God wants you to reconcile that because the ministry of reconciliation is one of the reasons why Jesus came. So that his people can show God's love through relationship. Every week I stand up here and preach for about 30 minutes. This week I'm asking you to make these words mean something. Let's pray. Jesus, you want us to be so powerfully reconciled with each other that we cannot help but put the gospel on display. God, we thank you so much for the story of Peter. God, so that we could even see ourselves in that. God, we thank you that you're a God that does not give up on us, no matter what we do. I mean, you could have just given up on Peter, but you didn't. Lord, you gave him a second chance. You reinstated. God, give us that heart. Help us to be people who look at other people and have mercy on them. Lord, that's so hard to do. Father, we just pray right now that 
as you bring that name to mind, as you bring that person to mind, that, Lord, you will bring ultimate freedom in our lives because we've reconciled our differences with others. Because we're not going to allow this junk to get in between us anymore. And because we're simply going to offer the love of Christ. Father, I pray that you make these words into action and that we change our lives as a result of what you did with Peter. So God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.